Chapter 14 of Eight Keys to Eden by Mark Clifton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dale Grothman. At EHQ on Earth, communication had been working fine. The operator sat back and listened, with trained ear alert, for flaw or fade. A glance at the adjacent recording instrument told him it was taking down everything said. Had been for hours. Nice deal about those naked colonists. Maybe the astro-navigator on the E-cruiser had been right. Maybe they'd all just gone back to nature, all the way back. He wondered if there were any pretty young female colonists. And how far did that word experimental take you? Some experiment. He realized his interest was running deeper than that of a detached technician's concern for well-operated equipment mechanical that is well let it live a little once in a while at least dream the department supervisor hovered near the back of the operator's chair breathing down his neck he gnawed at the knuckles of his hand and hoped nothing would go wrong this time that astro navigator louis lebeau was probably right those colonists had turned nudist and were afraid to report what they'd done back to earth well he looked around guiltily wondering if he'd exclaimed it aloud he decided he hadn't if he were out there instead of that e he'd make them put their clothes back on on the double getting everything all upset causing all this trouble getting everybody excited all of the ehq aroused taking up the time of an e just because they wanted to frolic around without any clothes on if they were going to act like irresponsible children, they should be spanked like irresponsible children. He wondered if there were any young, pretty female colonists who ought to be spanked. E. Gray has just stepped off the landing ramp, the pilot out there was reporting. He is walking toward the three colonists. Now they have started walking toward him. They do not seem hostile. They seem glad to see us. My crew and I are still at our stations, ready for silence. The set simply didn't register anything more, except for that faint sigh of uncompleted force fields in space. What now? What now? The supervisor pushed the operator to one side and barely restrained the impulse to cuff him on the side of the head. Now what did you do? Why did you meddle with it when it was coming in so clear and strong? What's happening? I didn't do anything. I didn't meddle with it. I don't know what's happening, the operator flared back. The signal just stopped. That's all. There was an imperative flashing of the signal light on the line that had been rigged to give direct connection of the running report to Hayes's office. The operator hesitated, then flipped open the key as if he were touching a rattlesnake. What's happening down there? Hayes complained abruptly without diplomatic softness. This is a very crucial point. I don't know what happened. I don't know, the supervisor quarreled back. The signal just stopped coming. We weren't doing anything to the equipment. He looked up at the continuously changing Tri-D star map, which made the far wall appear to be a view into a miniature universe. 
There's no reason for the occlusion, he said to Hayes, and the set here is alive. It must be the other end. He turned to the operator and said loudly, Bounce a beam on Eden's surface. Just see if any booster has gone out between here and there. Most of it was making a show of efficiency for Hayes. Here we go again, the operator mumbled to himself and pressed down a key. The returning pips showed the signal was getting through to Eden. Pilot Linwood, Pilot Linwood, the supervisor nagged into the mic. Speak up. Do you hear me? The operator sighed deeply. His panel partner grimaced something halfway between a grin and a sneer of disgust. They don't answer, the supervisor said at last to Hayes. It's the same as before. Here we go again, Hayes groaned, but not only to himself. All right, he said wearily after a moment's hesitation. Keep the channel open. Keep trying to contact them. Let me know if the signal resumes. But he already felt the conviction that it would do no good. It was too much of the same pattern as before. What could have happened? There'd have to be another review, he supposed. A longer, more detailed one. There must be, had to be, something they'd overlooked in the first one. Had he been right in freezing out so many who wanted to speculate in that first one? But in the interest of time, the scientist would grumble, even worse than before, because now each one of them would be worried lest it was his own field of knowledge that had failed. Hunting a needle in a haystack was easy. At least you knew what a needle looked like, could recognize it when you saw it. It would probably all end with nothing solved. E. McGinnis would go out in a rescue ship. He'd already told E. Gray that he would be available in an emergency, and this looked like an emergency. And that would leave E.H.Q. without a single E in residence. Why didn't the General Administration get busy and qualify more E's? It shouldn't be so difficult as all that to teach people to think. There was something mighty wrong with the way the kids were brought up if only one in a million could still think by the time he was grown. Less than one in a million could qualify as an E. A boy had to be a natural rebel to start with, because if he believed what people said, he wouldn't get anywhere, no further than the people who said it. And if he didn't believe what they told him, they'd punish him, outcast him, whip him, violenced him into submission if they could. If they couldn't, they'd shut him up in prison, labeled him dangerous to society. It was a wonder that any were able to walk the thin line between rebelliousness and delinquency. And if a few were able, they were still of no use unless they learned what science had to offer as a base. And there was the rub. How to keep alive the curiosity, the inquisitiveness, the skepticism, and at the same time teach him the basics he must have for constructive thought. For if he were not beaten into submission by the punitive methods of society, he was persuaded into it by his teachers, who were ever so sure of their facts and proof. Now you take this Eden problem. Probably wouldn't be tough at all if the guy could just think. But what could have happened? He understood there was an observation ship out there, sent out by the Attorney General's office. Why wasn't it reporting? 
probably was to the attorney general's office fine lot of good ehq would get out of that he was no fool he knew the attorney general would gladly sacrifice the whole lot of the colonists if it would give him a weapon to fight ehq why hadn't ehq sent along an observer ship also these cocky e's probably hadn't thought it necessary always ready to assume they could handle the situation by themselves he wondered if he dared voice that criticism during the review get it on record he thought about it and decided in favor of playing it safe maybe that was the trouble everybody was too concerned with his own skin too willing to play it safe but an employee of ehq to make a public criticism of an e no better play it safe he sighed heavily and asked the operator to see if e mcginnis would talk to him he suspected that e mcginnis would just stand off from the planet and wait for e gray to get in touch nothing seemed to have happened while e gray's cruiser was out in space it must be something connected with the landing being on the surface of the planet but e gray could signal to e mcginnis those pesky colonists why hadn't they signaled to e gray why hadn't they come out of their bushes and signaled the danger surely they must have known what it was they were alive and healthy three of them at least why hadn't they used their stupid heads but then how could they have known that e gray was out in space or even in their stratosphere well they had telescopes didn't they or did they sure they did no matter what happened to the buildings they must have all sorts of equipment hidden under the trees or in caves why hadn't e gray been more cautious about landing rushing in there like a green school kid without even rudimentary precautions that's what came from sending out a boy to do a man's job maybe the attorney general's office had been right in its attempt to prevent a junior from going what was the use of all that e-training if the boy didn't have enough sense at least e mcginnis would have enough sense to stand off not to rush in blindly grand old man e mcginnis now there was a real product of e science a venerable dean of the e's e gray would probably have enough sense to know he'd be followed by a rescue ship as soon as something went wrong and between an e out in space and another on the ground they shouldn't have any trouble in working it out he wondered if he should suggest that to e mcginnis as soon as the operator located him even if the grand lovable old man thought of it for himself he'd compliment hayes for thinking it reasoning it all out the intercom operator came on his line sir she said and cleared her throat he could hear her gulp her voice was a little small thin sir she began again i contacted e mcginnis he said some things he told me to tell you exactly what he said word for word i took it down in shorthand so i could well he exclaimed impatiently his brusqueness seemed to give her courage sir she said a little stronger e mcginnis won't talk to you he says the foggy rambling way that review was conducted was a disgrace he says why don't you get on with what you have to do instead of bothering people 
he says not to waste any more of his time unless you can come up with something he doesn't already know he says he doubts you'd know what that was even if it hit you in the face he says to tell you the exact words so i took it down in shorthand so i could because he said to she was all but wailing as she finished all right hayes sighed tiredly senile old devil no wonder things were going to pot if this was a sample of e-training send me your notes so i can follow them carefully he told the operator so you can tear them up before they get spread all over the joint she mumbled but she had already thrown the key so he couldn't hear her resignedly because he knew he was going to catch it from the scientist just as bad because he was feeling very sorry for himself that he must always be in the middle of things he began to arouse the scientists he felt so sorry for himself that he dropped his tentative plans to have the midget digit check the personal attributes of the individual colonists out there to see if any of them might be young pretty female 34 24 34 as if the idea were now red-hot he dropped the plan of telling general administration that since eden was in his sector perhaps he should go out there personally end of chapter 14 of eight keys to eden by mark clifton read by dale grothman